What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Anthony and Lori, and we are discussing A Discovery of Witches, Season 2, Episode 2. Um, this episode starts out, we, we get a little bit more of modern day scenes in this episode than we did in the first episode, which is cool because we, we kind of get to see what's going on in the present time while Matthew and Diana are in 1590. And let's see, who do we get in this one? We get Isabel. We get Isabel and Sarah and Marta and we get Sarah and M. We get Satu, so, um, and we get all of this in the first few minutes of the episode. So episode starts out, we see Sarah M and they are at set tour. And of course, Sarah is on her usual <laughs> ranting. I've missed seeing her rant. Um, but, you know, they're at set tour and she's kind of panicking about, oh, you know, they could tell people we're here and what are the witches going to think and blah, blah, blah. And M is kind of, you know, it's it's so funny watching their dynamic because Sarah is the one, like I said before, she's the one that's kind of like high strung. She's the one that's always like trying to control things. She's the one that's that's like, I don't know, she's high stress. And Emily is the one that's like so chill. She's the one that's like, nobody even knows we're here. Just calm down. You know, <laughs> it's going to be okay. But I mean, you can kind of sort of understand Sarah's attitude as far as being there at set tour because you're there in the home of a known witch killer, which can't be comfortable, you know. And um, Isabel is it can't be, but but you see, M seems to be okay. She's like, like you see, she's just kind of chill, like just relax, calm down. Because I I think I think M realizes that Matthew would not have sent them there if he had any idea that Isabel was going to do them harm. Right. And and also if Isabel was going to do them harm, it would have been done already. Right. Like right. the fact that Jaller is still living and breathing, that should be a testament to <laughs> Isabel's restraint. Right. But I don't know if it's my TV or whatever, but Isabel's red dress just looked stunning yes it um, looks stunning she she looks incredible but i also just realized that um sarah has the same she has on a red like a red checkered jacket so they're both wearing red and i find that very interesting hmm some some and yeah and Marta has on Marta has on like this grayish blue thing and M also has on grayish blue. It's just really interesting that they're mirroring each other. And that's funny because on the witch side, Sarah is the one that's apprehensive and M is the one that's chill. And then on the vampire side, you know, we see Isabel, she comes into the dining room because Marta is setting up the table for dinner she's like they're dining with us and Marta was like you know it might be time for us to just kind of you know maybe you know congregate a little bit and Isabel's like no I don't think they want to they don't want to spend time with us we don't want to spend time with them either and Marta you gotta love her because she's like look if Matthew can evolve we can evolve and we don't ever really 
understand that until this season, because of course, in the first season, all we've seen of Matthew is that he's very um, accepting and tolerant of the other creatures. Like we don't have any reason to think that he's anything other than that. And then as we've gotten into 1590, we see that he was actually one of the people who was helping, you know, he, he was helping the queen to hunt down witches or to question witches. And Cecil even makes a remark in this episode about, oh, we know about your disdain for witches. And it's kind of like, oh, really? You, you went to that extreme? So it's interesting to see the changes in Matthew, you know, as far as who he was back then and who he is now. And it's going to be interesting to watch him this season try not to become the person that he was back then. And it's been, it's been hinted at from all directions. You know, we got a warning from Hamish before they left. We got a warning from Kit in the last episode. And then in this episode or in the next episode, we also get another warning about Matthew losing himself in, in the person that he's supposed to be in this uh, in this time period. So that's going to be interesting. But yeah, Marta is like, look, if Matthew can evolve, we can evolve. Matthew want us to make them feel welcome. So let's make them feel welcome. And Isabel's just looking like, you know, the things we do for our children. That's pretty much the look she had on her face. <laughs> like, she's not like, she's not feeling them being there at all. Not at all. But at I mean, all. she's already embraced Diana as family. So you might as well embrace her family too. Because at this point, Matthew has made his decision. He has made it with Diana. This is his mate for life. Y'all are going to have to, at, at the very least, be civil to each other. Y'all don't have to become best pals. You don't have to get together for Christmases and Thanksgivings and whatever, Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, whatever other holidays there are. But it would be nice for you to at least get along. I mean, both of y'all have a vested interest in these two people who have decided to be together. And you both want to protect them and keep them safe. So why not? So... But it was fun. It was fun seeing that. And then and then we get to see Satu and her mumu, as she calls her. And um, Satu goes to get answers. Basically, her I believe that's her grandmother, you know, makes makes mention that she kept Satu isolated and she raised her away from people in an effort to protect her. And Satu tells her that she doesn't want protection anymore. She wants to learn about what she is, who she is. So her momo says, well, you know, come trying to be the, the weaver you were always meant to be. And this is like confirmation for Satu that she is something more than she's always thought she was. She, I mean, we knew that Satu was a powerful witch. Mm -hmm. We just didn't know how powerful. And we don't find this out until these two episodes watching Diana take her journey in 1590, we find out exactly how powerful and how rare weavers are. So I found it interesting when Satu, when, when, when she was told this, you, you notice that she's crying, but then also the wind starts picking up, snow starts falling, and then the whole lake where she is freezes. I didn't notice that the first time I watched the episode. I just rewatched it a, uh, about an hour ago and I noticed that. And I was like, oh, 
That's interesting. So I wonder, does she have all of the elements in her blood as well, just like Diana does? Not necessarily, I don't think. But um, I, I was—I just wanted to point out that when she was walking towards her momo, you noticed there was a loom over off to the side. And I was like, see, she's going to be a weaver. And like right after that, momo says, you know, I, I can train you to be the weaver you're meant to be. Yeah. But and, we you knew know, she was. I think we, we, we knew she was a weaver because the head in the box told her. She mm -hmm. called her a weaver. So mm -hmm. this was like, at, you know, more confirmation of how powerful that, how powerful she is. Mm -hmm. And I think we had mentioned this um, in the last season's podcast about um, weavers being rare. Yes. And there aren't very many of them. And that would make sense why she would kind of hide her and protect her because I think that's the, the reason why they're rare is they're just not feared not only by the other creatures, but they're also feared by other witches. Mm -hmm. And we find and, this out later on in this episode too, when Diana finally gets to meet Goody Allsop, she tells Diana right. that weavers are very rare and they are also... Um, you know, Diana makes mention that her, she thinks that's why her parents were killed because, you know, I, I guess. People want their power. I mean, yeah. people want their power and, and they, I guess, don't understand you kind of have to be born with it, you know. Yeah. So. But I do want to mention that, um, I think I said this last season about the, uh, how it was very similar to Robert Jordan in the wheel of time because in there when they when they are channeling the one power or the true power they always talk about weaves and weaving air and weaving water and weaving fire and earth and spirit to do their spells and i was thinking I, I i don't i haven't really read a lot of i haven't read hardly any books dealing with witches other than Harry Potter and they don't talk about weaves <laughs> like that mm -hmm. so I don't and I don't want to I don't want to say that that she you know may have may have been influenced by Robert Jordan's take on using magic mm -hmm. but the Wheel of Time is I think the only um, book that only series I read where they talk about magic and they talk about weaves and weaving because even in um the Shannara chronicles it's it's more of 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 just using the power and i think there's one of the series the will and the word where it's about using your your words to channel your magic and it's all about intention mm -hmm. and stuff so this is really I, i'm not trying to say she stole it but it does seem that there's obviously an influence there especially later when we actually see how the weaves are being done. And all this does, it makes me think that, you know, when they do the Wheel of Time series, they have a template and a, and a, and a house that does a sci-fi sci special effects that can actually show us the weaves being done. And I'm, I'm excited about that. That's all I wanted to say. Well, they also have that in N. Bishop's Dark Jewels uh, series too. Uh, the, the witches uh, use a lot of weaving and they have a particular set of uh, witches who are basically uh, 
one of their base powers in addition to being a witch is be able to be a, a weaver, a dream weaver, uh, a magic weaver. And then they also have where the witches, some of them are natural uh, poisoners where they naturally have poison in their body and it's, um, they can like inject it like a spider from like a finger in their hand, like a nail that's hidden like on the like on the side of the finger. And she uses that a lot because when a witch in the series uh, does too much magic, they lose their mind. And uh, the one of the main characters, and you don't laugh, these are actual characters, uh, Lucifer and uh, Satan and uh, Daemon, those are actual characters. And the Marquis de Sa, who is Daemon, he goes nuts and he spends a good part of, I'd say, the first half of the series and the last half of the series going through what they call tangled uh, webs in his mind. And his mother is also affected by this and they have to basically rebuild uh, a web inside themselves to climb out of madness. And then while they're doing it, they slowly have to reclaim and rebuild their magic in order to become whole again. Yeah, you. I, I think you've mentioned that series a couple of times while we've been discussing a discovery of witches. So. That's interesting. Um, but I think like with all types of creatures, when it comes to stories, you kind of borrowing ideas about certain creatures. I think that's kind of common because you, you do kind of want to have that common thread as far as what these creatures can do and it, it be something consistent. Because then when you go off the rails, people kind of panic, think about Stephanie Meyer and Twilight with the vampire sparkling. Mm -hmm. That was an original idea. And everybody was like, nope, this is not what vampires are. So, you know, that kind of idea about witches weaving. I think I've read something similar in another series too, but I'm not sure because it's been a while since I've read it. But I think there's something similar in um, the Castor Chronicles series, the uh, books that mm -hmm. Beautiful Creatures is part of. So... Um, but I, I mean, it's I, cool. It, 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 it seems as if there's like two ways of, of doing it, you know, cause I've, I've researched magic systems, but not necessarily how the magic is done. Mm -hmm. Um, like Harry Potter and even a lot of David Eddings writing and Robert Jordan, well, not Robert Jordan, but a lot of them, um, Shannara Chronicles is about having the power, the will and the intention to use the power. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you have, um, you have Discovery of Witches and the Robert Jordan, where they talk about weaving the mm -hmm. magic mm -hmm. and stuff. Because even in, um, um, what is the one with the dragons? I can't think of it right now. Dragonlance? No, not, not Dragonlance. The, the High Lords of Dragons? No, the the one by Anne McCaffrey, the, Christopher Poloni. Christopher, oh, okay. Oh, Aragon. Yeah. Uh, Aragon. And okay. there oh, is okay. about it's about will and intention. So it seems to be there's there's two different ways to do it. Um, we were watching another series where it was about you have to have the will, the intention, and the sacrifice in order for the magic to work. So it does, I mean, I can understand that there would be, there is a common thread. That's why we talk about a hard magic system versus a soft magic system in order to create consistency. Mm -hmm. And when you have creatures, you have to sort of have a consistency. That's why I discovered witches and 
even Twilight to some extent kind of throw you off about vampires because they kind of put different things in there that as a reader you traditionally don't kind of, you're like vampires don't really walk in the daylight or vampires don't sparkle and you just you it's just a little weird and and it can turn people off if you aren't having that consistency of of thought in the genre because if you're going to be in the genre there are rules that you kind of have to follow and that's what david eddings if you read any of his essays he talked we're in the weeds now but in his essays stuff that he's written he's talked about you know having internal consistency and and everything is sort of having to follow or follow the rules that's how we're able to separate star wars and star trek star trek is sci-fi star wars is fantasy because it follows fantasy rules mm -hmm. star trek follows science rules you know and and it's just i think it's interesting that um like i said i've had to look at discovery of witches and really try to force myself to to stay in this fantasy idea of her world and trying to understand what rules she's setting forth because now I'm starting to have other questions like, you know, how long do they live? Like our demons are not immortal, I guess, but do they have extended life? And I'm, I just have all these questions now mm -hmm. that maybe I need to read the books, but I'm sure like Stephanie Meyer, she's not going to answer the majority of the questions because the story takes precedence. Yeah. But I think the good but thing with, with, a lot of the modern writers, um, including you know these writers that we've mentioned, is they've taken these ideas that we've been given these base rules for what these creatures can do, and they allow for evolution. You know, so it's like, yeah, why should vampires only exist in the dark? That that will, to me as a reader, that will get kind of boring because it can kind of get predictable. So throw a monkey wrench in it yeah vampires can walk in the daylight and with you know with our vampires here in this particular show they can walk in the daylight without the use of magic or the use of assistance whereas like in vampire diaries they can only walk around in daylight if they have a daylight ring that is created by a witch you know so i kind of like the way that that the stories evolve with the times it i i think it adds a a an additional dimension to the characters and it, it gives the story a little bit more wiggle room to do some things that we're not used to seeing you know so but let's get back to the show 1590 so diana is despairing over not being able to find a teacher even though she's in london full of teachers um, I think part of the issue is that um, Mistress Norman, the, uh, what what did Michael call her? The uh, Sophie Ganger, I think that's what he called her instead of a doppelganger. Sophie Ganger. Sophie Ganger. Yeah. <laughs> so she has told some of the other witches about Diana's uh, lack of control and her powers, you know, more specifically the fruit incident. And so, you know, witches are not really jumping at the bit to become Diana's teacher because they're afraid of discovery. You know, witch, witches are being hunted down. They are being persecuted and they're just, you know, they're trying to keep a low profile, which is understandable. But while Diana is in the home with 
uh, Lord Henry and Sir Walter and Matthew, Matthew makes a suggestion that, hey, maybe Mary knows some witches. And this is someone who was a human, who was a trusted friend to them all. And once they kind of have a little bit of conversation about her, this Mary person is also a student of alchemy or interested in alchemy. And she has a proclivity for setting things alight. And Diana being the historian that she is, she's able to deduce that this person is Mary Sidney, who is the Countess of Pembroke. And um, I went and looked her up. And at that time, she was the most important non-royal woman writer and patron in Elizabethan England. So this is someone, Matthew travels in high circles. You know, Matthew just can't be just like a regular boring vampire, just kind of, you know, in obscurity. No, Matthew has to travel in some well-known circles, which I would think would make it hard for him to kind of keep things low key, but okay. I mean, he's supposed to be keeping a low profile. At least this is my understanding. They're in the past. They're looking for Ashmo 782. He's supposed to be keeping a low profile. The Matthew Royden of this time is a known, I won't say witch hunter, but it's known throughout the witches that he is helping to persecute some of them. And there are witch hunts going on right now. But yet you're supposed to be keeping Diana secret, but everyone that you introduce her to meet my wife, Mrs. Royden, and Everybody that you've introduced her to knows that she's a witch. This is not necessarily low profile, man. I, I don't. I, okay. For, well, okay. First, I was thinking he he can't keep a low profile because number one, he is a member of the court. In and being on the court, you're going to be in those circles and you're going to be high profile. Everyone already knows who he is, so that's why he was trying not to go out. Mm-hmm. But you know, once they found out he was there, he has to do his thing the the other thing is i i thought i didn't think he was persecuting witches i thought he was um identifying catholics i thought that's what he was he was doing i didn't i think i didn't i think they knew he was the people who know know he's a vampire and they know that he doesn't like witches but he's not necessarily persecuting witches he um they specifically mentioned it a couple of times in the episode Um, Actually, in the first episode, when Mistress Norman was leaving from the home and she was refusing to work with Diana, she said, powers like yours are the reason why we're being hunted in England. It's the reason why we are not safe, especially for men like your husband. So she specifically said she said Scotland. Because that's where oh, yeah, all Scotland, the issues Scotland, with I'm witches sorry. are. <laughs> they aren't having any issues with witches in England yet. But you have to remember, Matthew was sent over to the Scottish court, kind of like as a spy. And then it's mentioned in this episode that he is the one that um, he was one of the inquisitors for Agnes Sampson, who is a suspected witch in Scotland, who has been locked up. <sighs> Like he's the one right. questioning her. He's the one having to uh, question Tom. Uh... But the, but to me, I think those duties are specifically are, are specific to his ability to get information, like as a as the queen's shadow, not necessarily as a person who's persecuting witches. But 
he's even he's even torture is part of his part of his methods as far as well, that, that, well, that he's, that's his repertoire but i didn't think i thought i think he would torture anyone if they whoever they asked him to torture he would torture them whether they be a creature or not but but see the thing is and they mentioned this too for the most part he does not get involved in human politics or human issues his are yeah because even when he asked him to torture to torture even when they asked him to torture um Thomas Caldwell, he said, why? Because that seemed, that's a human issue. I'm not, gonna, I'm not dealing with that. But if he was a person who persecutes witches, he should have jumped on the opportunity. I'm not saying that the Matthew Royden of that time wouldn't have, but it seems like he was trying to be consistent with what he, you know, with the way he does. I'm just saying, I, I, I was just saying, I didn't think, I didn't know, I didn't think, I wasn't given the impression that he was specifically you know, persecuting witches, he's just like, because there's witches all over England and they're not really doing anything with them as of yet. But the witches in Scotland are in, it seems, full revolt. So, of course, they would send him up there to try to take care of it. That's just part of his job. Yeah, the witches in Scotland are in full revolt, but Cecil is also saying that the queen is starting to suspect that the witches in England aren't loyal either. And that's where it's being extra. The thing that's happening in Scotland is going to spread down into England. And that's what she's that's what she seems to be afraid of. But think she's about are, she's being paranoid right now. But think about the whole reason Tom Caldwell is locked up in the first place. He was questioned by a minister about witch activity in England, and then the minister turns up dead. So they're suspecting that witches had something to do with the minister's death. That's why they locked Tom Caldwell up, and that's why Cecil is trying to get the information out of him. Right. But he also, um, um, when Matthew was reading his, reading the notes from his torturing, he said, he said some unfavorable things about the crown and that got it. That's pretty much what really got him in trouble. Mm, I don't know. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not completely disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to give Matthew the benefit of the doubt. I don't, I don't necessarily think that he was, he, he was, I think he was just doing what he was supposed to do, not necessarily because he just revels in persecuting witches. I just, I just think he was no, doing I, I'm he not saying that he revels in it, but I'm saying, I'm just saying that that is, that is a part of his job back then. I mean, even Kit makes a reference later on about, about who Matthew is in that time. He tells him, don't impersonate Matthew Royden become Matthew Royden you know the Matthew Royden of this time he doesn't what does he say he doesn't he doesn't act he's not ruthless for sport you know he's Mm. ruthless for a purpose so that that kind of gives me an idea of of what Matthew was back then you know he wasn't all you know rainbows and unicorns (laughs) you know he he had a reputation that's one of the reasons why Cecil calls on him because he has a reputation for getting things done by any means necessary. When someone says you do anything, you do things by any means necessary, that usually has a huge implication. 
You know, that means that you are going to get the job done no matter what boundaries you have to cross, no matter what lines, you know, that sort of thing. That's the type of person Matthew is in, in 1590. And it's obvious to pretty much everyone around them that this Matthew is not that person. I mean, that I think that's one of the reasons why Cecil keeps kind of challenging him and he keeps making these little veiled remarks about loyalty and being a traitor and about, you know, your, your recent uh, sympathies with the witches, you know, he, he, I mean, he's noticing all of these different changes in Matthew's behavior. And even Kit says something about it. He says, you know, Cecil knows that something is not right with you. He knows you're not yourself. You know, he's very, mm -hmm. he's very different. Well, and, and at that time, you have to remember that one of the people's favorite activities was either to name someone a witch or to accuse someone of being the, under the influence of a witch. So they were sort of hyper-focused on that anyway. So any change of, the, of, of Matthew that they knew about, uh, even deviated just, you know, by a hair, they're, they're automatically going to assume that, you know, Diana has influenced him. So they, they're not sure if it's true love or if it was mutual or if she simply bewitched him. So they're, you know, and, and to go back a few minutes back on the whole thing about everyone knowing Diana is a witch. I, I noticed as when I'm watching this that a lot of the times when they meet someone who's a, a creature, uh, they don't have to tell them that Diana is a witch. They can automatically sense it. I think there was at least twice where he introduced her just somebody and they automatically said oh she's a witch i mean he didn't yeah. even have to say anything i think the only i think the only people who don't who don't sense it are the humans because and i think it's not just with the witches it's with the vampires and the demons too because even in season right. one when diana meets matthew for the first time she automatically knows what he is when she meets mm -hmm. Knox, she can kind of sense that Knox, you know what he is so it, it probably just has something to do with them being supernatural beings. And I think even mm -hmm. with humans, maybe they know that there's something different about her, but they don't necessarily know what it is because even at that time, you know, it's been said humans are very ignorant about supernatural creatures. That was one of the things that Matthew said in the very first season when him and Diana had one of their first real conversations is that humans don't really pay attention to us but they'll realize it once all the magic is gone from the world, they'll realize that something is different, but they may not know what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So they probably sense it. And we know that, so when they go to see Mary Sydney, Diana is having a conversation with her and she loses control of her power. First of all, Mary Sydney, her wardrobe is amazing. I actually all of the costuming in this in this show is like phenomenal. But Mary Sydney has on these very ornate shoes and that has a snake design on it. And Diana actually brings the snake to life. And this is where, you know, they're realizing her her magic is really out of control and they have to get it under control before something like that happens to someone who may be not familiar with witches or anything strange happening. So Matthew brings up the fact that they need to find a, a witch and Mary 
is very uncomfortable with the conversation. You can tell she was like, I, I, I can't help you find a witch. And then she looks at Matthew and she's like, my brother told me what you were when I was a child. And I've just kind of, you know, accepted that as fable. So it's like, she knows that he's a vampire. She's never said anything to him about it before, but she's kind of weary. She's like, okay, yes, I have proof that you're a vampire, you're a creature, but I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to pretend like you're just my regular friend, like you're a regular human. I'm not going to have this, you know, I'm going to ignore this knowledge that I have. And then she warns Diana, you can't let anybody know what you are because of what's going on here. You know, as far as the witches starting to be hunted down, that's in England. She, I mean, she tells that to Diana very clearly. You can't let any, you can't trust anybody uh, to know that you're a witch. That's a warning. If, if, if the witch hunts weren't becoming a thing in England, why would she feel the need to warn her about that? And Diana even makes, you know, mention of it a couple of times within this episode and the next episode that it's getting dangerous there. Matthew doesn't think it's dangerous for her, but like she says, you're the scientist, not the historian. I know how this, I know how this is going to play out. So, but, um, I, I know Lori, we, we haven't, we hadn't really had a chance to talk about the episode, but I know that in conversations that you and I have had via messenger, you said that you had some questions about this episode. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I went back and I, I didn't watch the whole episode again, but I watched, I sort of cherry picked. And of all the episodes that we've watched, I think this one wasn't so much as the info dump, but it just sort of looked like it was kind of like thrown together. They threw so many things in it that by the time you got to the third episode, it did make sense. But they, it's like, okay, we got to do an info dump, but we don't want it to appear that way. We're going to throw this in, that in, this in. It was, it was very disjointed. My biggest question that I really had is that when she meets with the witches, and I'm looking at the scene right now, and they're sort of, you know, going about, you know, how she needs to teach her and all this and how she has to prove herself. I'm like, well, if they knew she was a witch and they knew she's married to a vampire and, and, and everything, why did they give her the reception that they gave her knowing that they have time walkers and that they should have been more, I guess, open to accepting her maybe a little bit more? I think because one, at the time when she first went to the read, she hadn't told any, any of them that she was a time walker. Right. She hadn't told. She hadn't told Mistress Norman. She hadn't told Goody Alsop. I think they gave her an audience because when the most powerful witch in England says, "Hey, this woman needs someone to train her. We need to hear her out." Are you going to tell the most powerful witch? No, no. You're yeah, that, that's a call that you take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think they afforded her the audience. Because Goody Alsop, you know, suggested it. And then, of course, when they, when Mistress Norman brings up the fact that she's married to a vampire. And, and again, she brings up, you know, this is someone that we can't trust. She's choosing this. She's choosing a vampire over the witches. How, can, how, how do we know that we can trust her? And this is when mm-hmm. Diana decides to trust them with her secret. Again, this whole thing about witches and vampires coexisting like it's brought up several times in the next couple of episodes and it's just one of those things where 
you know, we, we talk about Diana and how bold she is and how she, sometimes she, she stands up for herself. And what I noticed is Diana has very good instincts when it comes to certain things. There are, there are scenes that happen in this episode and the next episode where she says and does things. And it's kind of like, no, Diana, why are you doing this? Why are you saying this? Why are you telling this? But she always seems to know the right way to say something to whom and when the right time is. Like she has really good instincts. And I think at this point, she realizes the only way that she is going to get these witches to trust her is that she has to trust them first with her secret. You know, time walking, I think even though that is a skill they're familiar with, I don't think is very... I, th I think it's almost rare, just like her being a weaver is rare. And notice that Goody Alsop never really said to the Reed that she was a weaver. They basically said that she was a witch that needed training. And she went into her background that her parents were murdered. She's an orphan, Her um, that she had been spellbound. And that was what she went with. She tried to give them as little information as possible and when she saw that that wasn't going to sway them, she had to tell them, okay, look, I'm a time walker. I come from the future. I've seen the book of life and it's tied to me. It's tied to my magic and my magic is tied to my husband. All of this has to go together or else it's not going to work. And then once she says that she's a time walker, it's like everything clicks into place for Goody Alsop. You know, she had already told Diana that the auguries predicted that you would be here. And I knew to look for you. So she already had her own convictions about who Diana was and that this is the witch that's supposed to come and help them. And then when Diana said that she was a time walker, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, notice how quickly once she said she was a time walker and that she had seen the book of life, Goody Alsop was like, oh, okay, this is our, this is our weaver. Let's go. Let's, let's welcome her. And there was like no debate. There was no discussion. There was no, like immediately they accepted her. It's kind of <laughs> like, oh, okay. This is the person we've been waiting for. So yes, let's, let's go ahead and accept her and let's do what we need to do to help her. Yeah. She automatically became the chosen one, which we kind of knew they were going to do that anyway. Yeah, you but know, I mean, so like I say, Goody Alsop, she had already said that there were signs pointing to Diana's arrival. And it's just like everything started to click into place. And it was, I will say that the scene with Diana meeting Goody Alsop, that was probably one of my favorite scenes in the episode mm. because she finds out that not only is she a weaver and that they're rare, like at this time, Goody Alsop says that Diana herself and Agnes Sampson are the only three weavers in existence because they've been hunted down because, because of their powers. But not only that, we find out that Diana's father was also a weaver and he was self-taught. We, you know, we've speculated about this in season one, but my goodness, how powerful were Diana's parents really, you know? Yeah, see that, that, that's bringing 
uh, a few things that I was wondering. One of the things is, um, is her father of the time that he says he's of the time? Is her father, was he actually born within the time period to be her father? Or is he, did he move through time from say 1590 and met her mother and just took up a life in the modern world? Because if he is a male, and this is the first male we've heard of that's that powerful, it's quite possible since, remember, their, their magical traits are dying out on all three of the creatures. It's possible that he was not born in, say, 1956, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I wondered about that, too. I, maybe I, I think 1590, but he may be even older. He may be from a time older than that. Maybe Matthew's time. Who knows? I mean, uh, it, it when you when you have a group of people who are magically superior uh, and they have an innate uh, command of magic, uh, usually they're older than they say, or they're just like Diana, just born that way. So I wouldn't be surprised if we find out down the road that her father actually. Uh, it had a lot more to do with the Ashmore book than we thought. And maybe even he had a hand in maybe writing some of it. Uh, maybe he wrote it himself and just pretended it was someone else. Or maybe he was around long enough to whisper to whoever wrote his ear about certain things because there's no way that his line of witches would have gone unnoticed for hundreds of years, especially the American side with them with Salem and not notice that there's this guy walking around who's basically, you know, the baddest warlock they can think of and <laughs> no one notice because uh, what's his name? Um, oh, the, the oh, Norris. That's uh, the other witch, the, the man, the, the guy, the, the one that's in or pain everyone's butt. The one that's Peter? what? Peter. Pain a, Peter. Yes. Peter. There's no way that Peter, uh, wouldn't have been on her dad all of his life uh, trying to figure out, you know, what he knows because it, it looks like that he doesn't realize how strong uh, her father is. And as far as her mother is concerned, if they're a direct descendant from the Salem witches, uh, then they have a strong bloodline, which they have acknowledged. And if I'm remembering correctly, uh, that that line of witches, the bishops, are sort of like the, the Claremonts where they have like a very pure line of whatever uh, type of creature that they are and that they seem to sort of automatically, yeah, like, okay, the, the one that died the, the or got messed up, the redheaded one that was betraying her, she walks into a room, oh, hi, how are you? Diana walks into a room or any of her, her ancestors are like, hi, would you like a cup of tea? Here's a chair, let's sit down. Without her even asking for it, because they, I guess I'm saying that they kind of view them a little bit like maybe royalty a little bit. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know what I mean? Because, you know, obviously the bishop line is very, very strong, but, you know, there, there's always got to be something. I mean, with, with the Goody also and all of them in the, the coven there, you could see that at first there was a lot of doubt and then when they start realizing, you know, exactly, you know, who she is. But I, I also wonder if they're killing them off or there's some type of cipher or some type of ciphering type power, because how would you take a power from a witch like that? There has to be a process other than binding them uh, to, to do it. I don't know. 
But you know, the other the other question that I have about Diana and and her father, and and I guess this has to do with what what time he comes from as well too. But I wonder if that's the reason if Stephen being powerful and also maybe being from a different time. I wonder if that's the reason why Diana carries her mother's last name and not his. Mm, good point. Like they were trying to maybe throw off the fact that she is as powerful as she is. Like, okay, if she comes from the bishop line, yes, yeah, she's she's powerful, this, that, and other. But maybe there's something about the proctor line that that kind of amplifies her power, especially yeah. if he is powerful enough that he's a time walker and he's a weaver and he's a self-taught weaver mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. a rare male weaver that has to be important like they don't just give us small tidbits like that for no reason that has to be something very important to the story and to diana's background mm-hmm, but i'm wondering mm-hmm. if that's the reason why she's not known as diana proctor hmm, that could be that that could be. I'm just gonna say these are all those questions that I said um, that I'm afraid that we'll never get answers to. I because, won't. I won't. I think not. we'll get the answers yeah. to them. We're not. We're not gonna get answers to these questions. Don't say that. I think. We're, <laughs> I think we're gonna get them. These are all very good questions that would be explained in a really good book. Or three. well i just hope the second book which i haven't started moves a little bit faster than book one that's all i'm saying yeah it probably will i mean especially if because we're what i've noticed and it's kind of going back to what you said Lori. we're getting a lot of information Mm -hmm. fast too very fast faster than we did i think in the first in the first season because the first season was still kind of establishing who the characters were establishing what the story is and it's like now we're off to the races like everything is going bam 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 like we're meeting so many people now who all seem to be very central to this story of whatever it is diana is supposed to accomplish while she's here you know, you've got mm-hmm. uh, Mary Sidney that we've met. We've met, you know, Kit and Lord Henry and Sir Walter. And then in this episode, we meet Father Hubbard, who is the van- who is a vampire, who is the leader of London. That just, first of all, that was weird to me to have a priest as a vampire. I was like, well, I, I mean, I've read fantasy uh, books where the vampires have been priests before, so I didn't find that uh, strange. What I found was strange is the story of how he became, because according to them, uh, he has no maker. Yes, that was weird. Which yeah, is, I found that weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's like, what was not. it, Matthew said? He died, and then he did. He dug himself a grave. Like right. what? yeah he has to have a maker somewhere and you know i mean okay i'm gonna i'm I'm digging in the weeds here (laughs) and rice okay you go but not louie i'm talking about pandora and memnock and all of them if you go back uh remember the queen and the king remember they had i forget which book it was 
uh, they went into, they were talking to the queen and they found out the king, reason why the king was sitting on his throne so silently over the last eons of years is that over the years, she had been slowly drinking his blood. So I believe that when, that when they went to awaken the king, he shattered into a thousand pieces of, of like bone shard because he was basically a husk because she was the first vampire because of what had transpired with her and the gods in the Nile. So it, it could be a situation like that. It could be that uh, A, he's way older than he's letting on. B, he's one of those that might be, uh, well, you have to understand, vampires that I've read who are really, really old, they, they actually try to pass themselves off as gods. And because back then, sometimes maybe they didn't have not the intellect, but they didn't have the uh, maybe the capacity to understand what was actually happening to them. So they attribute it to godhood. And it could be that that's sort of why he was explaining and telling everyone that I, I died, I dug a grave and I woke up and I was like this, is that he can't explain what happened to him, but he obviously has to have a maker. Man, I, that makes Sorry. me curious as to who. Like, yeah. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not familiar with any stories where a vampire would actually make or sire another vampire and then just kind of leave them to their own devices. There's a few out there, but it, it, it's, I mean, there there are some, but usually when that's done, it's been more of a urban fantasy type of a thing and the reason why they left them is because they were created by mistake or the more popular thing is is that they created them and they didn't realize they created them until later on and then they go back and try to rectify either kill them or take them under the wing adopt or train hmm. okay okay Yes, I have way too much time on my hands and I read. I, I, I don't know. I spend sometimes, I'll go off on a tangent and I'll spend three months reading nothing but vampire stuff. And I I'll wish go back I had whatever. that kind of time. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Um, where do we want to go next? What do we want to talk about next? What's burning in your brains about episode two? Um, can we... Kit is... It's, I can't really explain. I can't, I don't really understand. Maybe I do, but Kit is consistently trying to push Matthew to be like the Matthew of that time. Like he, he everything he says him like, well, you need to do this so you can survive. You know, the old, the other Matthew wouldn't be like this. Well, and it's like, he keeps telling him and, and trying to suggest to him that he needs to stop being the softy that he is and, and be the hard ass. It kind of makes sense, but it just seems really, really interesting that he keeps doing it. But, but Anthony, remember, by doing that, what does Matthew do? Matthew goes and he gambles, he gets the earring, and then he gets mm -hmm. something else that he was missing. He, he goes back and he gets a few tokens of his old life. So I believe, I can't remember, I think it was this episode, he goes, now you look like your old self, or am I wrong? Yes, he does. Yeah, he says that. Yeah. Um, he says that when he puts the earring in, he says, "Now you look like Matthew Rorden." Right. Yeah. Right. He keeps yeah. trying to do it. Yeah. I think. I think maybe part of it is because I think Kent 
Kit genuinely is protective of Matthew. And as we said before, the Matthew that we see now, he's the 21st century Matthew. He doesn't have a lot of the mannerisms or a lot of the, he doesn't present himself as 16th century Matthew. And I think it's noticeable to everyone. Like everyone keeps saying, you know, they keep making remarks about how he's different. He looks different. You know, the Matthew that we became familiar with didn't have a beard, didn't have a facial hair, didn't have facial hair, didn't have an earring. So when, when they arrived in 1590, he looked completely different. And I think a lot of it has to do with Kit trying to be protective of Matt. Like, okay, look, if you don't start acting like the Matthew from this time, no matter how discreet you're trying to be, no matter how protective you're trying to be, it's not going to work because people are going to see through it. You don't go through that drastic of a personality change or a character change in a few weeks. It just yeah. does not happen. You know, and even with the people who are meeting Diana, they've noticed the change in Matthew. And we'll talk about episode three in a little bit, but they remark that Matthew being with Diana has changed who he is. That's not something that happens in just a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So if Matthew really wants to be discreet, if he really wants to stay off the radar he's gonna have to start acting more like the person he was in 1590 in order to not raise those suspicions because a matthew uh, obviously 1590s matthew didn't have a lot of compassion didn't have a lot of conscience and and this matthew has both and it's becoming glaringly obvious to the people around him but that's not a bad thing normally, but in that time, if, like you said, you're used to it. But I think the problem that Matthew is going to have is that he is coming from a place where things are not as restrictive and as rigid and that he is able to uh, maneuver. And then you have to go back and, okay, it's like you're 40 years old and then all of a sudden you have to move back to your parents' house and your parents are really, really strict. And all of a sudden you have to ask permission if it's all okay for you to like, you know, take the car and go to the store and only to have them to give you your gas and to give them a receipt of how far you went. I mean, it's like uh, you have to go back to a time where you couldn't do anything other than what you're told to do. And you have to follow these rigid rules because society back then, and we see this in, in the next episode, they, they're, they've got some pretty hardcore rules that if you, if you misstep even by uh, an inch, they, they get very, very frustrated with you and they get very, very upset because they don't know how to deal with something that isn't uh, what they're used to. You, you know what I mean? I mean, they have to, they have, they have those rules in place to make sure that society stays where they're supposed to stay. And I think that for him being able to come and go without uh, Philippe, his father around, and now that he's in an area where his father is alive and well, he's gonna have to answer things that he's not used to answering anymore. 
Yeah. Well, and also, um, it just. Oh, I also want to mention that we have a new magic rule, or not really a new, but Matthew has displaced the Matthew of that time. He's he. And remember when he first got there, he couldn't remember. He's like, I don't really remember what I was doing. I don't really remember. Well, that's because you weren't there. <laughs> you know, you have you have gone back to a place and you've displaced yourself out of that time. So now we know that when you time walk, you displace yourself. What's going to be interesting is when he leaves and, and the Matthew comes back, he's going to be like, what, what, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And see, is we all talked this? about that. And we talked about that when we you did the first episode, we were okay. It, it was like, okay, so what happens? And that's the other thing I think, that's another reason probably why Kit is telling him that he needs to act like the old Matthew, because here's the thing, when right. Matthew and Diana go back to the 21st century, if this other Matthew magically reappears, he's not going to have any recollection of what's happened the whole time that Matthew and Diana were, were there. That's going to mm-hmm. put him in danger because here's the thing. They're going to ask him about his witch wife and he's going to be like, excuse me? Do you not know who you're talking <laughs> to? I would never marry a witch. But obviously you did. You know, and this that's that's going to be a weird thing to have to explain. Yeah, we're, we're going to be going into the weeds again. Unless there is a stopgap in that spell that allows for if you leave then everything kind of goes back to the way it was Mm -hmm. and like the memory of your presence kind of goes away and the excuse would be it's magic i recently watched a this is off the subject but i recently watched the deep space nine episode where a poet from bajor's past came back through Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he said he was a prophet because he fit he was the emissary because he fit all of the things for the emissary right so when they went when he and cisco went back into the wormhole to talk to the prophets like which one of us is the emissary prophets are like y'all don't really get it like time is not linear for us Mm -hmm. we just sent you back he's like oh i'm not the emissary no he's the cisco you're just some dude that we helped (laughs) and and he's like well we could just you know kill him and let him die and they're like no 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 Send him back home. And then, um, but you know, y'all can make it like, you know, Nick Happen. So long story short, he does go back in his time. And, you know, later Kira's looking at the thing and he's like, oh, look, he finished a poem that he never finished. And she's like, how come I remember how he was, that he was dead and gone? Why didn't our memories change? They're the prophets. I mean, they could basically do whatever they want. So maybe one of the things of being a time walk is if you're bouncing in and out of time in order to protect, you know, everyone's memory and to protect the timeline, things kind of go back to the way it was. It's, it's like when you put something in water and it displaces the water and when you take it out, the water goes right back to the mm-hmm. way it was. Mm-hmm. That seems like what, what is going to happen because there's, there's so many ways they could have jacked up the timeline. Right, right. You know, there's so many ways they could have jacked yeah, up the yeah. timeline. Because they never things... expected to be there in the first place. Like we talked right. about that too. 
Matthew had expected them to land in the country and away from all of that. So they weren't supposed mm-hmm. to be there in the first place. So that's that's an interesting now. That's that's I forgot awesome. to say I have a theory, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's no, that's a good that that's better than my theory because I'm sorry, Hanukkah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. Uh, my, my theory is, and I've been sort of paying attention to this might just be me um i'm of the mind that maybe matthew doesn't remember certain things because of the time thing because he because the theory is if he was there once he's already been there before um i'm beginning to wonder if he's been compelled to forget see it's also consistent when when they went back to the dinner because remember they couldn't remember where they were this is true this is during the dinner because they displaced themselves. That's true. That's true. That's how you. That's how you get around them running into each other, running into themselves. That's true. So that's they true. wouldn't have remembered how the dinner happened the first time because they wasn't yeah. there. They were that's there right. for the dinner when it actually happened. That's true. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll recant that one. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. That 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 makes sense. So I th- I think. I think that there is a protection in that in that spell, the way it works. Things kind of go back to the way it was once you leave. That preserves the timeline. Well, also, yeah, so yeah. if you think about it, if you think about it from what Goody Alsop says, and maybe this is maybe this just has to do with. Uh, I wonder if the witches who are time walkers are also weavers. You know, since both of them are supposed to be really rare, Goody Alsop says weavers can create their own spells. So maybe that's part of the magic that's woven into time walking is that once you walk out of that particular time, everything goes back to the way it was. Maybe that maybe that just happens to be one of the side effects of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's still, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's because because now, like you said, Anthony, now that opens up a whole bunch of other questions that I hope we get answers to. <laughs> it may not be because this season, but I mean, we we still have a third season that's coming up, so maybe some of those questions will be answered. I I don't know. Uh, again, I'm not. I haven't read the book, so I don't know where this story is going. So I don't know if we'll get answers. Yeah, because remember, remember when when um, Isabel was talking about Philip and Matthew, she said, yeah, there were times when Matthew would go off and he told me not to ask Matthew where he was. I'm starting to think that, you know, I, I like I said, I've read the books, but maybe there were times where they have time walked together. And those times was when Matthew was displaced. I don't know. Right? Well, huh? I don't think so because that because those times when he was probably off doing stuff for the um for the knights. So I don't know. it could have been. Well, that just I I I take that back. Forget I even said it. No, 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 because now you got me thinking about about something that I hadn't thought about before. I, I, vampires and the demons are also magical creatures. And I'm wondering 
if you're an old enough vampire or if you're an old enough demon, if you develop auxiliary magic and that you can inadvertently uh, trigger your own time spinning or time walking episodes. I got crickets. <laughs> I'm, I'm rolling around, rolling that around in my head. That, that's interesting. Because they don't say it's per se a witch thing. Well, hmm. this is true. I don't know. I don't think I'm drunk enough for this part of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's like time travel is one of those things that, and I've said this before, it's one of those things that you think you understand, but you don't understand. And Anytime you read a story or you watch a movie that has to deal with time travel, there's always like really, and I'm thinking like specifically, I'm thinking of the time traveler's wife, because you had that in that movie, in that book where, you know, uh, the main character would travel through time and sometimes end up in a time where another version of himself exists. And it's just one of those things where it's just kind of like, well, how does that happen? So what happens if if the time traveling version interacts with somebody that, you know, it's just kind of one of those things like, obviously Matthew looks differently because he's from a different time. He probably carries himself differently because he's from a different time. And the same thing with Diana is like, Diana is from a time where, Healthcare was a lot better, mm-hmm. you know. Well, they even talk about her accent. They're like, yeah, you don't talk like you from, from around these parts, <laughs> you know? right? But her remember, that was my her that, the, the way she looks is different. The way she carries herself is different, and it's kind of like those those kinds of things stand out. And and I, I refer you back to last season when we talked about time traveling and how I'm hesitant with any story that has time travel. And that was one of my fears with this show. When you introduce time travel, you you open up a whole can of worms. And I will commend them on at least having the foresight to, to have this thing about them being displaced to kind of take care of that. And to also this, this thing that I, I just, kind of thought about it today where things just kind of go back to the way it was when they leave that way you preserve the timeline that way you don't have to worry about them running into each other and you kind of avoid all those things that we talk about you know with our issues with time travel mm-hmm. yeah and one of the best examples of time travel in which they really i mean they could have disrupted it but they did very careful it was hero from heroes Uh, especially when they went back and forth, especially when he first was able to move the clock forward a few minutes at a time and how he was very conscious. And then when he went to the revival Heary series where he had his son and how they were able to, he got stuck in time. And instead of trying to go forward again, he just spent the time raising Jack until Jack got to a certain age. He knew that he had to stay because he was quote unquote stuck and he wasn't going to try to to fix it. So yeah, I can see that. Well, since we're throwing out time travel examples, the butterfly <laughs> effect is the one that I think is the best example of 
of, of it being done right. Okay. Because every time he changed the timeline, it messed with his brain because you know he he still has those memories and he, everything has to change. And that's what was causing him issues was every time he changed something, his memories would get, he had to be replaced and the old ones had to go away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's and so that 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 is how I always envision a person who's time traveling, you know, and, and they fix it in Doctor Who because they always say that the the time lords sort of because of their experience with time, they sort of exist outside of it. So they don't have those issues. They have the capacity to remember everything and not have to have stuff taken out and replaced. Well, no, but he has has, they have time codes, but he has also said that um, he doesn't, there are things that he can change, but there are events that no matter what he does, they cannot change. change. And those are the things he remembers. They know the things that they cannot change. Everything else is changeable because it doesn't affect the overall thing. So that's why the Time Lords, they have their code, but they know they have some wiggle room in screwing with things because they can't really get rid of those those major events that are that are a part of time. But we're in the weeds again. So but, but time that. but time locking uh certain events that they all mutually agree on actually helps them with their timeline too. Yeah. So yeah, you're right, you're in the weeds. But yeah, no, that actually that's an excellent point. I, I don't know. I I I I think that when you're dealing with time and time travel, it's really up to what each show chooses the rules to be. I, I think that we kind of know what the basic rules of it should be. I mean, Timeless, the TV series, they did a decent job, but they didn't really uh, deal with ramifications from the past. It was more of when they got back each time, she didn't ha- all of a sudden she didn't have a sister, you know, stuff like that. But it was stuff that only she noticed she had to point it out to other people, hey mom, you had two kids, now you have one. And mom's like, Are you sure? She's uh yeah, I'm pretty sure. I had a sister, you know, that sort of thing. And now that we have her father, Dana's father, bouncing around time, that that would make it easier to understand why he hasn't been why he hadn't tried to change the timeline or you know affect anything. Mm. Because he, he really can't because once he leaves, everything goes back to the way it was. Okay. For the well, most part. Okay. Okay. Well, Anthony, I'm going to throw this out to you. Obviously, we've seen that she can, given the proper motivation, you can move in time pretty darn quick. Why didn't he and Diana's mother, when they noticed they were coming to kill them, hop and skip back a few years? I'm going to say... Peter used that stupid ass rock he has in his hand to keep them from doing anything. Probably. Okay. All yeah, right. that's what I was gonna say too. He probably he probably caught them by surprise. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you know, there I still have some questions about Diana's father and exactly what he was doing, how he's connected to the book and why Diana is connected to it. And I think that'll that'll come into more play in the next episode. But I think it's just, I think it's interesting that 
he had this power. He was, he was this powerful, you know, that, I mean, even now, Goody Alsop is able to feel his magic and to, and to, she literally read Diana and was able to tell what the last spell was that he did, that he did it with love to protect her. And again, it just, it makes me wonder about exactly how powerful this man was and what exactly he passed on to Diana. It's just, there's so many questions I have about her parents now, you know, in, in all of this, even though, yeah, we're, we're interested in Diana's journey. We're interested to see what she's doing. I think it's taking a hell of a lot of time for them to find this book, which they haven't even, I don't even think in this episode, they even mentioned the book, you know, but um, yeah, it's just, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> now yeah that you know like i said the, i i hope we're gonna we're gonna get answers to the questions anthony i hope that they're not gonna just give us all this stuff and then leave us hanging that would not be we're, we're not we're, we're not gonna get answers no we're gonna we're get answers. we're gonna get answers <laughs> we'll get half answer half answer half uh well i don't know but maybe speculation i i i kind of agree with both of you i guess i'm saying yeah. And, and here's the other thing. So about Diana's powers. So when she first meets with Mistress Norman, you know, she has a thing where Mistress Norman is trying to get her to do a simple thing, put out a candle flame and stop a bell from ringing or start a candle, uh, light a candle and stop a bell from ringing. And Diana ends up basically decaying a, a bowl of fruit. So in this episode, she sees Mistress Norman again and she she invites her back to the house because Matthew is not there. And Mistress Norman gives her another task. She, she gives her an egg and a bowl and she says, move the contents of this egg into the bowl. So basically I think what Diana is supposed to do with her magic is she's supposed to crack this egg and put the contents into the bowl. Diana being Diana, of course, nothing comes simple to her. What she ends up doing is she makes the egg mature and the egg ends up hatching into a baby chick. So this kind of, it makes me wonder if Diana's powers extend to having some sort of control over life and death. I know that's a stretch, but given what she did with the egg and then what she did with the fruit, now I, I get it, fruit is is food. So her being able to make it decay, you know, that's all well and good. But I wonder if she focused her if she focused her powers enough, would she have that kind of strength or that kind of power to like control whether or not someone well, dies? Well. Drain, well, drain the light uh, uh, out of them or something. I, I don't know. I kind of look at it where she's manipulating time. Like she basically made the fruit age to the point where it rotted. And she did the same thing with the egg. She just, okay. She just aged the egg forward. Okay. That, that, and, yeah. If, they, if this woman wasn't played, they would have said, yeah. 
I don't think she was because taking the life out of the fruit would not be the same as the fruit decaying. Yeah, you would have to have a live person for necromancy, or or yeah, she would have to. They would have had to reference that before for that to occur. And if that was the case, then giving Diana being Diana, uh, somewhere she would have accidentally hit somebody with a car or a bike or something happened and she rushed over to them, leaned over them, put her hands on them and then they come back to life gasping for breath or something would have happened to okay. her by now that she would have known there was a problem. Okay, okay. Yeah. So she, she it, it seems as if also being a time walker, you also okay. kind of manipulate, can manipulate time to a certain degree. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Um, what else do we need to talk about? Did we leave anything out? Um, this fa Father Hubbard creeps me out. Something <laughs> about that, something about him is just not right. You know, and it's, it's weird that he, you know, he, he gets his followers and he has this thing about, um, I guess when he deems a follower worthy, he quote unquote adopts them into his family. And he does this by drinking their blood, which Matthew, um, you know, at, at some point, Father Hubbard finds out about Diana. He sends a summons for Matthew and Diana to appear before him. And Matthew makes it a point to tell Diana, you cannot let him feed on your blood because he will be able to see your truth. And, and we know that this is something that vampires do because we've seen it in the first season where the vampires, when they drink blood, they can see memories of the vampire and, and so on and so forth. So they go to see this Father Hubbard and, you know, he almost attacks Diana. Of course, Matthew is not about to let that happen. And... He also makes like some threats against them both because he notices the bite marks on Diana's neck, which Matthew had already told her, no one can know that I fed on you because they would not understand. And so Father Hubbard kind of reiterates that when he sees the marks, he's like, if, if Matthew took blood, if he fed on you without consent, then that's basically a death sentence for Matthew. But if you fed him, if you allowed him to feed on you, then you'll be cast out of the witches. You'll be cast out of England. So she would basically have to leave. And again, this is one of those situations where Diana speaks up and you're kind of like, what are you doing, girl? Shut your mouth. But it actually kind of works in their favor because she tells, she tells Father Hubbard that I fed Matthew to save his life, to keep him from dying. I forced him to. So it's just kind of like one of those things where she took the blame for it, but she made it so that it was kind of not Matthew's choice, which is really funny considering she's she's a human. Yeah, she's a witch, but she's a human. But yeah, he's a vampire, but I made him drink my blood. It's just one. <laughs> she, she, she put it in that gray area where it was like, I didn't voluntarily give it to him. Like he didn't ask for it. And he didn't necessarily force me. Right. It was somewhere in the middle. It was something that I had to do to save his life and I would do it again. 
but it wasn't something that was you know it wasn't something that we planned and it's just kind of one of those things where he's like okay god forgives you i'm like (laughs) because of the mercy that she showed yeah yes but that dude creeps me out and then he you know he he approaches matthew later on in the episode because tom this this tom caldwell thomas caldwell person that cecil has locked up and is telling matthew to question is one of his children and he's trying to get matthew to let him go and matthew uh, apparently there's not any love lost between this father hubbard and matthew and we also see that there's a treaty between father hubbard and the declaremont family that they stay out of his affairs and he stays out of theirs so matthew i think at this point is one really annoyed that he even has to deal with this dude at all and then two, he's coming to Matthew now for assistance. And when Matthew flat out refuses, he makes a threat. Oh, I can get your father, Philippa, involved. I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well. Like, I think if anything of anything that Matthew is trying to avoid when coming to this time, I think Philippe is like at the top of the list, not only because he doesn't want to have to answer for one, Diana, two, not being where he is supposed to be at this time but three it's also for matthew at this point his father has been gone for what 70 80 years so to mm-hmm. have to come face to face with him again i don't think that's something he really wants to do i don't think that's something he's emotionally prepared to do but father hubbard threatens he's like yeah i can write to philippe and get him involved and matthew gets a little pissed off about this it's just like you know I, I don't know. In in the present time, we all know that for the most part, Matthew is not one to mess with. Like people kind of shy away from Matthew. They know he's he's not the person to mess with. And it seems like in 1590, everybody is trying Matthew. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know how this is gonna work out. This doesn't seem to be a good idea, but I I know it's not a good idea for him to get philippe involved in anything and you know my thing is if if philippe when he philippe is gonna see matthew and i have a feeling that philippe is gonna know oh you're not matthew matthew yeah i i kind of wonder about that too i think i think if philippe has to come face to face with matthew right now he's gonna know the the difference i mean think about this Mm -hmm. is this is his son Mm-hmm. This is somebody who he, he has been around now in this time for a thousand years. You're mm-hmm. gonna know that that's not. He's gonna he's gonna look at him. And he's gonna know. He's gonna feel it that this is a different person. Right. Well, going back to my favorite theory once again, doppelganger. Unless he mimics himself so well because let's go back to Vampire Diaries. Catherine was very able to fool repeatedly. Stefan and Damon and everybody else that she was Elena. And that's because they were when... lovesick puppies. <laughs> that's well, they were lovesick puppies okay, who were competing that. for her and they weren't see, I do know a little bit about <laughs> I watched that season one <laughs> and part of season two. So yeah, no, they were lovesick puppies. They okay, weren't paying, I'll give you that. they weren't they weren't paying attention to none of that stuff. But she did she did fool Caroline and Bonnie a few times, but after and I believe she fooled Enzo, I think, once. Yeah, I think it's different with it because Philippe 
just what we know of his character, I feel like Philippe is probably maybe a little more observant than a bunch of horny teenagers are. That's yeah. true, even though they're 150 yeah. and, years old. And we're dealing with thousand years as opposed to right you know. 100 yeah. yeah well okay okay i'll give you that but okay so here's the thing supposedly uh figures out what's going on and supposedly decides that well since the real matthew and i'm using that in air quotes is you know over here how about i use this matthew who's still my matthew but from the future send him to do something else that I really need to be done but the one hand doesn't know what the other is doing so maybe I can get something done real quick that I want to do on the down low and get away with it and then pretend that he was in Scotland all along I mean that could happen too um no because he's been displaced the the Matthew Royden of that time is is gone I still don't believe that Mm. I guess yeah, he, at some point he, he we is, will find he out. Is gone. Yeah, <laughs> okay. We will find okay. out. We okay. will find okay. out because in this episode, you know, we've been talking back and forth about this this Thomas Caldwell character. And as you mentioned earlier, Anthony, Kit counsels Matthew that he needs to become the Matthew of this time. Yeah. And, and he also said that before he went to go see Father Hubbard. Right. That's true. Okay. And that's okay. and that's why he jumped on Father Hubbard so quick because we know how fast he is mm-hmm. anytime someone threatens Diana. Diana, right. And and so Kit basically tells Matthew that you you need to become the Matthew Royden of this time. Stop impersonating him and become him. And his advice is to do what Cecil told you to do. He sent you to question this Tom Caldwell. He told you to get answers by any means necessary. This is what you need to do to cement the fact that you are, in fact, the Matthew Royden that everyone expects. Matthew can't bring himself to do this because he already knows that this guy is most likely innocent. And now Diana has also kind of gotten involved and she's looked and she's like, yo, this guy is innocent. What are you going to do? Blah, blah, blah. So Matthew goes to Tom Caldwell and he kills him and it's a mercy killing because at this point he doesn't see a way out for Thomas Caldwell that won't put Diana in danger we already know if it's gonna endanger Diana Matthew's not Matthew don't give a fuck he's not doing whatever so he kills he's not gonna torture an innocent man for three weeks either right right which is what Kit was suggesting you know, yeah. but he he does the mercy killing. Of course, he has to answer to Cecil for it. And he, you know, he makes this story up about how he lost control. And Cecil even says, this is out of character for you. So again, Matthew's not really doing well as far as portraying this person that everyone seemingly knows better than he does at this point, you know, right. but Father Hubbard is upset because this is, again, this is one of his children who has now been murdered in cold blood. And at the end of the episode, we see that he sends a letter to Philippe. So I have a feeling we're going to see Philippe in the next episode or two. Like it's, it's, Now it's inevitable. Matthew's going to yeah. have to come face to face with his father. And that's going to be interesting because so... Michael asked me when we recorded the first episode, he said, did you see who's playing Philippe? 
And I said, no, because I hadn't paid attention to the casting. Like I had heard a few of the names and I know some of the characters that are being played, but I was really trying not to get spoiled too much. But when I was editing that first episode, I got curious. So I went to IMDb to look it up. And I was like, oh, that's who he's playing because I had heard that this person was joining the cast, but I didn't know who he got cast as. James Purifoy is going to be Philippe. Ooh. That's I'm so fucking excited. Ooh. That should be good. That's going to be so good. So yes, that's good. That now. That's good. That that's that's almost as good as getting Sebastian Roach to play. Oh, oh. I know, right? <laughs> that would have been amazing too. But I love James Purifoy, so I'm like, okay, I want to see what he does for this character because at this point, we still don't know too much about Philippe's character, and I'm kind of on the fence on whether or not I'm going to like this character or hate this character. It's like on the one hand, Matthew seems to. In season one, oh. Matthew came across as, you know, it seemed like he had a lot of respect and a lot of love for Philippe. And then in this season, you kind of get like a mix of that because, again, Philippe sent Matthew to spy, to be a spy and to basically turn in suspected catholics or catholics and knowing that matthew is catholic like you're you're basically getting him to turn on his own people and it's like what kind of parent does that so at this point i don't know how i feel about philippe now now quick quick little side question if he gets summoned to septor and or has to see his father in some way shape or form is he not also going to see uh 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 isabel and you would think so. You would think and would so, she yeah. remember Diana? Not necessarily. I, I'm know. pretty sure she'd remember her son getting married. Well, that's yeah, what I was saying if, about, if, about if, the displacing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. When, yeah, they, so when they leave. If, when they go back to the future, then remember. Because, because, again, if that was the case, wouldn't Matthew have remembered Diana? Right. Good point. Good point. So that's that whole gray area that I guess we'll have to wait to see how it unfolds and how how they explain that because yeah that that would be kind of one of those things like you know it, and even if not Matthew because, because if Marta was around Marta would definitely remember yeah that's true Marta wouldn't forget Mar- Marta don't seem like she forget anything <laughs> no, no no so I still think she's got some. Um, which like magical ability though? Have we? Do we know specifically that Marta is a vampire? Like, or did we just assume? Could she be a demon? I assume she was a vampire. Uh, yeah, I assume she was a vampire. Okay. I, I mean, if she's a demon, then that then there's your answer if they're long lived or not. Yeah, but I just wondered because you know we say that Marta seems to have a set of skills that we don't see with the other vampires. Right. She could smell magic. So that's why that's why I kind of wonder. Like and I don't think it could be. I don't think it's ever been specifically said that she was a vampire. So just that she's been with them for years. Right. Yeah. So okay. Hmm. 
Anything else we need to talk about for this episode? I think we covered pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts? Um, the story is is still interesting. Um, I'm still waiting for the promise of action. Like we're, we're not getting a lot of, we're getting a lot of magic, but not a lot of action. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of the scenes of people standing around and talking and I'm going to need a little bit more. That's all. So the info, the info dump is not enough. Two episodes of info dump. No, they were so much better at pacing in season one with action intermixed with the info dumps. Here, we're basically just getting a lot of info dumps, a lot of background, a lot, a lot of, I don't want to use the word filler, but it, the exposition is great. But at some point, I'm going to need to see a little bit of action. But you have to think about it, too. They're in a different time, different century. So. W- give me a bar fight. <laughs> give, me, <laughs> give me something. Well, if Kit continues to go gambling and taking shirts off of men and whatever, we may see a, a bar fight or two. Oh, that is something I did want to um, talk about because. Matthew and Kit, they have a conversation and Kit asks Matthew about his future. He's like, so tell me about future you. And Matthew's like, no, not going to do that. You know, that that's not something I should do. And he also asked Matthew about his own future and what happens to him and if his writing is still around and being read. And it's just one of those things is like, I don't know if I would want to know about my future self if I had the opportunity that would, and and Matthew basically says, no, that's something that would drive you mad. And it's just, my jury is still out on Kit. (laughs) Because at this point, I don't, I don't know whether he's a true friend or foe because he, again, he seems to really care about Matthew. We, we've all, we've already speculated that he's probably in love with Matthew. Don't know if that was ever reciprocated with Matthew or not. But we know that there, there is something there for him with Matthew. But I don't know how to feel about his character. Because something tells me that if something goes wrong with Matthew and Diana, Kid is probably going to be the one behind it. And I Does just... Does the word two-faced mean anything to you? Yeah. But... I mean, not all the way, but about 70% there. Well, I know him. that green eyed monster is there. So of course, anytime, yeah. you, have jealous, <laughs> anytime you have jealousy in, in the mix, there's going to be some sense of betrayal. But yeah, and I also he's kind got of wanna, feelings though. He does, but I also kind of a um, lot of a lot of people that I've seen on like Twitter and just watching the interactions between uh, Deborah Harkness and the fans and the the official twitter pages and just people seeing people talk about the characters people seem to really love his character so i don't think that he i don't think people would love his character if he ends up betraying matthew so Mm. i don't want to think that that's the case but at the same time i'm still i'm just not sure about him Mm. I, i don't think he's going to betray them because i think he i think he i think his feelings for Matthew run really, really deep. And mm. I don't think he would go that far. Like okay. right. he's pissed off about the situation, but I don't think he's pissed off enough to 
intentionally hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's not gonna do that. He he's he's enough to be disruptive but not go yeah. all the way. Yeah, disruptive, I, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think the thing that I would like to see uh more on the show and uh especially with these two episodes, um, I'm missing more of the modern times. I wish there was more than a few scenes i want to i guess i i guess every time you know when they cut scene and they go to the waterfront and you see it i i want to see more of what's going on now Mm -hmm. because i feel as if we're getting too much of 1590 Mm -hmm. and they're going to rush the the modern stuff at the end or in the middle and it's going to be sort of uneven Mm -hmm. i want to know more what gerhardt and what they're all doing I agree. I think they're they're not. This is the one time where the time jumping would make sense. Mm-hmm. Hanukkah yeah. was going to talk about. Yeah. This is the one time where you can have because we said this before. We, we talked about the stand. There are times when it works when you have two parallel stories mm-hmm. going on in different time periods yes. because it will be the same as if they were in the same time period mm-hmm. and you were doing the parallel stories. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just that right now it's very heavy with the info dump in 1590 yeah. and not enough of the action that's happening. But I have future. a feeling it's and you have to stop like- and look everybody up every five minutes. Yeah, but I, th- I think Sorry. it's probably going to even itself out because in the first episode, we only got the beginning scene where they were in the current times. And then in this episode, we got a few more scenes. So maybe they're starting to interweave those stories or as far as giving us what's going on in the present time. Because of course, the only reason why Matthew and Diana are in 1590 in the first place is because of what's happening in the present time. So I think we'll probably end up getting a little bit more of that as the episodes go, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 we'll get to see a little bit more about what's happening, what's being done to find them and how those two storylines are going to tie in together. So, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention about this episode and I mentioned it last episode, they can give me a Matthew if they can give me a Matthew scene where he's in that hat and 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 cape Ooh. every episode, I would be so happy. Oh, walking down the street with the, with the and drink. the leather pants. I'm sorry, oh. they are dressing him like no one's business. Oh my god, seriously. It's yes, he he, he, he modern he day Matthew. He wears the leather very well, but that fedora and that cape, when they stopped him in the street to give him the message from uh, Father Hubbard, and he turned around, like I said, I said this in the first episode, he's giving me some very smooth criminal vibes. I'm here for it. They can give that to me once every episode, and I will be happy. It looks so good on him. He's one of those those people that can because some people can wear historical clothing and costumes and not look right. He fits even when we, we had uh, stuff with Downton Abbey. He fits, yes. you know, when, yes. when he was wearing those clothes. Some people just don't, don't look right. They look too modern, no matter what you put them in. So. Yes, he he does very well um, in time pieces. Yes, it, it's it's a good look for him. But also, again, we mentioned this, the costuming for this season is so amazing. 
like the, the costuming is is really good. Oh yeah. my it's god, excellent. the amount it's of just... detail that's that's gone into these pieces is just when when we when we see the beginning of this episode and Francoise is dressing Diana, that that the pieces and the the gown and the gold and the white it was just gorgeous. Yeah, and and there How? there's there's an outfit that they have in episode three that's just <gasps> stunning. Yes. Yes. Both of them are stunning but, in that. Yes. But I can't imagine how hot it is to walk around with all of that. And then she was breastfeeding while filming these seasons. I can't even imagine like I remember breastfeeding and how just how cumbersome it was just with regular clothing. I can't imagine having to take off a bodice and a corset and all this other stuff so that you can breastfeed. That's you know well okay i'll I'll, palmer (laughs) i'll give them i'll I'll give them a lot of um props on the costumes because obviously their money did not go into set design because i'm gonna tell you some of those 90 is not supposed uh, to be pretty well er, everything well they use the same set i know it's a tv show but you you need to make it less obvious that everything is filmed in the same spot. Like anytime they're outside, their exterior shots, walking down the street, it's the same street from different angles. And I know I'm, I've never been to London in fifty in fifteen ninety, <laughs> but it's just it's if just, you had, we'd be it, having a whole different conversation. Different right? conversation. <laughs> it it just it's it's just a little obvious, but I give them a pass on it because the costumes are awesome. So I, I'll take that. And I can tell that some of the rooms are basically just redressing of the same room, which is fine as well. But, you know, the money went into the costumes. The costumes are great. Costumes are amazing. That's all to say. <laughs> That's amazing. But I guess we have uh, exhausted this episode. So we are going to... I think we squeezed it dry. Yes, I think we did. I think we did. But that's okay. But because we had a lot to talk about. Like like you said, they, they've given us a lot in this episode, these first two episodes. And I don't expect that to slow down with the next few episodes. Um, we have a lot of story to cover. And we know that there are still other characters that are coming up. I know, you know, they keep mentioning Queen Elizabeth. So we know that she's going to show up. We already know that Philippe is probably going to show up because Father Hubbard has has sent him this this note. Um, We don't know what the note says, but of course, Father Hubbard is not pleased with the fact that Matthew just snapped his child's neck. So, you know, we can expect maybe some reprimand from Philippe. And um, I, I do know that we are still supposed to be getting another character, Gallo Glass, who is Matthew's nephew. And that's because uh, Stephen Cree is in that role. I don't know when we're going to see Gallo Glass, but I'm, I'm waiting for that because I love him and I, I want to see this character. And everybody is excited about this character coming in. So they've still got a lot of story to tell us. So we're, we're going to be talking quite a bit um the next few episodes but for now that is our show you can find us online at www.fandomhybrid.com we are on social media on facebook instagram and twitter at fandom hybrid 
You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time.